with me in your Bible to Acts chapter 27. On Wednesday nights, we're going through the Bible, chapter by chapter and verse by verse. We will be finishing up the book of Acts soon and going into the book of Romans, which I'm really excited about, so you can start reading ahead in the book of Romans. One thing that we know about life is that there's going to be storms. You don't have to live very long to come to that conclusion. And some storms, they're big, aren't they? And then some storms are small, and then some are in between. Some come in different shapes and different sizes, but there will be a lot of storms in life. In this life, you know you will have tribulation. We see God's people being led through storms throughout Scripture. The disciples were taken into several storms by Jesus Christ. It resulted in a greater knowledge of who Jesus was. But there was also figurative storms that people went through the Scripture. Not a literal storm, but a difficult circumstance in life that we've coined storm. We know Joseph being betrayed by his own brothers, sold as a slave, falsely accused of raping Potiphar's wife, his master's wife, thrown into prison. You could call that a storm, couldn't you? Daniel getting in trouble for what? For praying. Being dedicated to seek the Lord was thrown into the lion's den. Doesn't get much more difficult than that. Maybe the most close to home is Job, though. Job loses his children all in the same day. Loses all of his business ventures, his possessions. He's only left with his wife that says, curse God and die. (laughs) Job goes through this intense journey until God begins to give him understanding of the storm that he went through. Tonight, we get to look at the Apostle Paul going through a literal storm. Lessons from the storm, things that we can learn from the storms as we go through them as well. So verse 1 of chapter 27, and when he decided that we should set sail to Italy, they delivered Paul and some other prisoners to one named Julius, a centurion of Augustan regiment, of the Augustan regiment. Paul is on this journey to Rome. God had spoken to him in chapter 23, Paul, you're going to go to Rome. He had come to Jerusalem and in that point experienced great persecution, gone on trial. And the last section of the book of Acts is going from one leader to the next. And now finally, they're putting him on a boat to go to Rome. In the back of your Bible, if you have a map, many maps title this the fourth missionary journey of the Apostle Paul. He leaves from Caesarea, gets on this boat as a prisoner, and is eventually making his way to Rome. This is a very unlikely way to begin a missionary journey. It's probably not how Paul thought that he would get to Rome. But so many things in our lives happen in a way that we wouldn't expect. True? A different plan that God has for us. So here's his moment. He's going to sail to Rome. A centurion, Julius, he's in his care. We don't know much about him. Verse 2, So entering a ship of a Druidum, we put to sea, meaning we sail along the coast of Asia. Aristarchus, a Macedonian of Thessalonica, was with us. Traveling companion Aristarchus chose to go with Paul, was allowed to go with Paul. 
Also, as we'll read through, we'll see that Luke is included in this because he writes the word we several times. The physician Luke. I think Luke had made the arrangements and it was agreed to to travel with Paul. This is a good friend. (laughs) If you're a prisoner and you're being transported to Rome and you have such a close friend that's saying, I've got to be with you on this journey. So it's these three men that are making this journey with other prisoners. And the next day we landed at Sidon and Julius treated Paul kindly and gave him liberty to go to his friends and receive care. This isn't the normal way that you would treat a prisoner. Northern Israel, just above Tyre, on the Mediterranean Sea, they stop at the seaport, and Paul's allowed to go to visit his friends. This shows Paul's character, doesn't it? The godly character of Paul. He knows that Paul's going to come back when it's time to sail. There's no question about it, so he gets to stop off here. In verse 4, When he had put to sea from there, when we had put to sea from there, we sailed under the shelter of Cyprus because the winds were contrary. So now they are sailing into the wind. And if you picture in your mind, if you know where Israel is on a map in the Mediterranean, and they're making their way up the coastline by the island of Cyprus to head over to Rome, which is that country, Italy, with some good coffee and pizza. Looks like a boot. That, that's where they're headed to go, right? And the wind is contrary to them. And when we'd sailed over the sea, which is off Sicily and Pamphylia, we came to Myra, a city of Lycia. There the centurion found an Alexandrian ship sailing to Italy, and he put us on board. So they changed ships. They're no longer under Julius's care. Verse 7, when we had sailed slowly many days and arrived with difficulty off of Snidus, the wind not permitting us to proceed, we sailed under the shelter of Crete off Salmon. Crete is an island there in the Mediterranean. The wind is contrary, thus a storm. You ever feel like life is happening like that? Everything that you do, every step that you take is against the wind. I don't know why it's like this, but sometimes it feels like the wind's at your back. And everything's just going great. And you're in a season of blessing. And praise the Lord for those seasons. We should rejoice in those seasons and draw near the Lord. For some reason, it all shifts. Everything changes. And you enter into a season where you're contrary to the wind. Where you're going against the wind. Some days are somewhere in in between. But this is a time when they're going against the wind. In verse 8, Passing with difficulty, we came to a place called Fair Havens near the city of Lacia. At this particular time, it wasn't a fair haven. I'm sure many times of the year, it was a wonderful place to be, but at this time, there was a great storm. And verse 9, Now when much time had been spent, and sailing was now dangerous because the fast was already over, Paul advised them. This is speaking of the Day of Atonement. The Day of Atonement was already done. This is the calendar. They're referring to the fact that we're now getting into October, and it's not a good time to sail. The winds would come up, and all of the ship and the sailors knew that this was a dangerous time to be sailing, that the winds would be raging during these months. Verse 10, Paul advises them. He speaks to them. Men, I perceive that this voyage will end with disaster and much loss, not only of cargo and ship, but also our lives. 
Paul was an experienced man when it came to the Mediterranean Sea. If you've been traveling with us through the book of Acts, you've seen all of the different missionary journeys that he has taken. Estimated to be about 3,500 miles, all in this Mediterranean region. When he wrote to the church of Corinth, he said that he'd been shipwrecked three times. This isn't the first storm that Paul has been on, on the Mediterranean. I think Paul's speaking out of experience here. Even though this isn't his trade, even though this wasn't what he's trained in, he's saying, guys, this isn't a good time to travel. If we do this, there is going to be great disaster and much loss upon this. Here's the first thing to really consider about storms is that some storms are avoidable. Some storms are avoidable, aren't they? You get a warning. Don't go in this direction. Don't do it. And we can avert that storm. So when it comes to our lives, for us to be quick to hear and slow to speak before we make a decision, are you blowing past a warning that somebody gives to you? I looked this up today. Now, this is the point where I'll see if you guys are with me. Because this is what I found that we only actually retain and comprehend 25% of what we hear. Did you guys get that in the back, back there? In the upper room? All right, got some hand waves up there tonight. Sweet. 25%. I'm lucky if I get 25%. If you're a man, you might get 15%, especially during football season. <laughs> We're just not very good listeners. And when it comes to a warning, sometimes we only hear what we want to hear. We don't want someone to stop us from our agenda. These guys sailing, they have an agenda. They have a desire. They're not in a good place for a seaport. It's not going to be an enjoyable winter to stay in this place. Are we the kind of person that can listen to a warning? Proverbs 27 verse 6 says, Faithful are the wounds of a friend, but the kisses of an enemy are deceitful. Paul is a man that cares and a man that loves. That's why he takes a risk in speaking to these men, saying it's not a good time to sail. A true friend is going to tell you stuff that hurts. We're sharpened by a friend. Our countenance is sharpened by them. Stop and listen to a warning when somebody gives it to you. Listen to God's word. Listen to godly people. This particular storm could have been avoided. There's a lot of storms in life that can't be avoided. There's sickness. There's disease. There's accidents. There's downturns in the economy. The list goes on and on and on. The rain falls on the just and the unjust. We sang tonight, hallelujah, our God reigns. He reigns. And he chooses to allow storms to come into our lives. So there's storms that we can't get out of. So by all means, we should get out of all the storms that we can. Agreed? There's some storms that are avoidable. Verse 11. Nevertheless, the centurion was more persuaded by the helmsman and the owner of the ship than by the things spoken by Paul. This makes sense, doesn't it? Paul's a prisoner. And on top of that, he's a preacher. It's like a preacher coming in and saying, Oh, you're in the middle of remodeling your kitchen? I would advise you that this would be the best way to remodel your kitchen. You're like, why don't you stick to preaching? What do you know about remodeling kitchens? Paul's kind of out of his field here. It only makes sense that you would listen to the helmsman, the one that is in charge of the ship, 
and also the owner of the ship. This made me think when I was studying this. Do I listen to God's word and godly people, but do I also listen from an unusual source? Sometimes God may want to intervene and bring counsel into my life from someone that I wouldn't necessarily always listen to. That's Paul here in this scenario. He's the outsider. He doesn't have the experience. He's a prisoner, but God was speaking to him. If we were the one that was in charge making this decision, would we have the humility to hear from a prisoner? Would we have the humility to listen to somebody that was outside of the circle? Verse 12, And because the harbor was not suitable to winter in, the majority advised to set sail from there also, if by any means they could reach Phoenix, a harbor of Crete, opening toward the southwest and the northwest and winter there. Bottom line, it's not comfortable. We don't want to stay here because they don't have a Five Guys Burgers and Fries. There's no Starbucks here. This isn't going to be very pleasant. There's no laundromat. We want to cruise on to the next city. We want to get to Phoenix. Verse 13, when the south wind blew softly, supposing that they had obtained their desire, putting out to sea, they sailed close by Crete. Be careful to not look too hard for an open door. That's what these guys are doing. They're making an open door where there's a closed door. Oh, we have a little bit of soft wind. They knew that this was the time when storms raged on the Mediterranean Sea. So they took off. Verse 14, but not long after that, a tempest headwind arose called Euroclidon. This wind is so strong that it gets its own name, similar to hurricane where we've begun to title it. And so this was a well-known wind that would come up. So when the ship was caught and could not head into the wind, we let her drive. So we, we couldn't go against the wind anymore. The, the wind is going to take control and the wind is going to push us wherever it likes. Verse 16, and running under the shelter of an island called Claudia, we secured the skiff with difficulty. The skiff is a small boat. So if you're thinking of a, a larger boat with passengers and cargo, then the skiff is the emergency boat. So the skiff in ancient times sometimes would be pulled behind the main boat or would be pulled up on the side, how we would probably picture it in our mind. When the storm would come, you'd have to secure it. You'd have to pull it onto the main part of the boat. So that's what they do here. They, they get that skiff boat. And this is where we see the words we. We secured the skiff boat with difficulty. Speaking of Luke, Luke is the one writing the book of Acts and he includes himself here. In verse 17, when they'd taken it on board, they used cables to undergird the ship and bearing lest they should run aground on the citrus sands, they struck sail and so were driven. This was something that they did fairly often if they figured that they were going to go up on shore to a place that they hadn't anticipated. They take the cables and put it underneath the boat to try to keep the boat from collapsing. The Citrus Sands was an infamous graveyard for ships, kind of like the Bermuda Triangle. They knew they were in a terrible section. Bear with me, okay? We're getting all the background right now. This is the pause moment. This is the Wednesday night, don't fall asleep on me moment. Is as we get further into this, we're going to get to our lessons that we go through the storm. Verse 18, and because we were exceedingly tempest-tossed, 
The next day, they lightened the ship. Do you ever feel extremely, exceedingly tempest-tossed? I picture getting thrown into a washing machine on spin cycle. Maybe front loader, front loader style, where you're just getting tossed and turned and beat up, trying to come up for air there in the midst of, of the storm. On the third day, we threw the ship's tackle overboard with our own hands, trying to lighten the weight of the ship's emphasis of our, of our own hands. Picture them out on this ship, tossing, getting blown, men being concerned that they were going to fall into this raging sea. Verse 20, Now when neither sun nor stars appeared for many days, and no small tempest beat on us, all hope that we would be saved was finally given up. Why is it a big deal that they couldn't see the sun or the stars for many days? Because they didn't have smartphones. <laughs> there was no Google Maps on their phone. All of their navigation was done by the stars. So if you don't have the stars, you can't navigate. You can't tell where you are. This is an extremely difficult storm. And all hope of being saved was given up. At this point, all of the men resided themselves to the fact that they were going to die. I think this happens in the storms of life figuratively as we lose our direction. We lose our navigation in storms. The big storms, absolutely. When people are going through a great difficulty, you don't know what's north, what's south, what's east, what's west. It's hard to keep up on the daily aspects of life. This afternoon when I was down visiting Robert and his family while Robert was in, in surgery, Robert Dotson, in the waiting room at intensive care, I have a phone in the waiting room. And there was lots of families waiting in the waiting room for intensive care. Four or five families all waiting to hear something of a loved one going through a surgery. When that phone rings, it gets deadly quiet in that room. And somebody goes over and picks up the phone and says the name of the family. And it's a defining moment in their lives. And I can guarantee you, when you're in that ICU, in that waiting room with a loved one, you don't know what way north is. You don't know what way south is. You've lost your direction. You can't see your stars. You can't navigate. You know, in talking with people who've lost a child and walking with them through that in a small way. They lose navigation. They lose direction. They don't know what to do. You don't know what's up and you don't know what's down. And the smaller trials of life, it does it for a more brief moment of time. Things blow up just in the daily challenges of life and for about 15 minutes, you're like, what am I supposed to do? My car just broke down. I didn't, I, where am I at? What's going on here? I've kind of, I've lost my bearings. I think this speaks into some of what we feel when we go through storms. And if we're not careful, also hope goes out the window. Hope goes out the window. This is speaking of hope from a physical sense, from a practical sense. We don't see a way out from man's understanding. When we get to these points in life, when there's no hope from a human perspective, let me ask you a question. Do we still have hope? Yes, absolutely. Because our hope is based on the spiritual reality that Christ is living. And no storms in this life change that fact. Nothing can separate us from the love of Christ. 
And in that moment, we have to hold on by faith. And if we're not careful, our hope's going to get swallowed up. Hope is the confident expectation of coming good. It's not always in this life, but it's definitely an eternal life. The best is yet to come because Christ is risen. Amen? We look at verse 21. But after a long abstinence from food, then Paul stood in the midst of them and said, why do you think they weren't eating? This isn't fasting and prayer. Who wants to eat when you're tossed in the storm? On a storm that's this bad, you try to eat, you're throwing up. So they just abstain from food. They're throwing food overboard because of weight. And Paul speaks to them. Men, you should have listened to me and have not sailed from Crete and incurred this disaster and loss. So Paul did have the I told you so moment. (laughs) Paul couldn't help himself. He's saying, guys, this storm was completely avoidable if you would have just listened to me. But he also offers encouragement. And now I urge you to take heart, for there will be no loss of life among you, but only of the ship. How could Paul be so certain? For there stood by me this night an angel of the Lord to whom I belong and whom I serve. God gives encouragement to Paul when he needs it. We saw this in Acts 23 when Christ spoke to him that he was going to go to Rome, that he was going to testify of Christ there in Rome. Paul's at another point where he needs God to speak to him and God sends a messenger. God sends an angel and this is what the angel spoke to him saying, don't be afraid, Paul. You must be brought before Caesar and indeed God has granted you all those who sail with you. God confronts his fear. This is what God does many times when he speaks to his people in a storm. He says, don't be afraid because they're afraid. Don't be fearful. Be at that place of trusting and believing in me. Paul, you're going to go before the Caesar. You're going to make it before Rome. You're going to testify of me. This is hugely encouraging that man's mistakes don't thwart the plan of God. Isn't that encouraging? Paul wouldn't have been in this storm if it wasn't for some guy's poor decisions. Let me tell you, there'll be some storms in your life because of people around you making the wrong choice. Sometimes we make the wrong choice and we cause the storm for ourselves and others, but other times it's going to be people that are on our boat, they're on our team, they're in our life. I know you've experienced that. And all of a sudden, your life gets stormy because of a choice that they've made. And in the back of our mind, we go, they messed up the plan of God. They thwarted the plan of God. I was supposed to be in Rome. God says, no. They're not going to destroy my plan. You're still going to get to Rome. And in fact, you're going to get to testify to a whole bunch of people that you wouldn't have otherwise. Paul's got some stops along the way. He's going to testify to these sailors that are traveling with him. Next week, read ahead. He's going to minister to those on the island of Malta. God's plan is not thwarted by the mistakes of men, whether it's ours or others. And God says... I'm going to give you all those who sail with you. So if you're taking notes tonight, here's a lesson that we learn in the storm. To me, it's number one. It's so important. It's this, is meet with God. Meet with God. If you're in a storm tonight, meet with the Lord. It's the only way that you're going to get through the storm that you're going through. You're extremely tempest-tossed. Cry out to him. Draw near to him. No person on this planet 
No earthly wisdom. Only Christ is going to get you through the storm. Only Christ is going to be the refuge. Psalm 61. I'd like to read just a few verses. You might be familiar with it. David, going through his own storm, says, Hear my cry, O God. Attend to my prayer. From the end of the earth, I will cry to you. When my heart is overwhelmed, lead me to the rock that is higher than I. You have been a shelter for me, a strong tower from the enemy. I will abide in your tabernacle forever. I will trust in the shelter of your wings. It says, God, would you listen? God, would you attend to my prayer? God, I am sinking here. When my heart's overwhelmed, God, I need you to lead me to the rock that's higher than I. David knows he can't find the source of strength on his own. That's how overwhelmed he is. He's saying, God, I need you to take me to that rock. The rock is Jesus. The rock is the one who's higher than us. He's the one who gives us security, and he's the one who gives us perspective. Jesus is the good shepherd who walks with us through the valley of the shadow of death. This is easy on paper, but not always easy in reality. It's easy coming out of my mouth, but it's hard when we're going through the midst of the storm because we're wrestling with, God, you allowed this. God, you're sovereign and you're in control and I'm disappointed. Maybe I'm even a little bit angry. I don't want to draw near to you. Our God, I'm crying out to you and it doesn't seem like you're listening. It doesn't seem like you're answering the prayer. Keep asking, keep knocking, keep seeking, keep pouring out your hearts to the Lord. God, would you meet me in the midst of this? It may be six months, it may be a year, but God will meet you. Keep that as the primary focus of, Lord, I need to meet with you. And what we find a lot of times in the scripture is Jesus is seeking us out in the midst of that storm. He's wanting to send the strength. He's wanting to send the messenger. Meet with God. And we look at verse 25 and 26. Therefore, take heart, men, for I believe, God, that it will be just as it was told me. However, we must run aground on a certain island. Here's point number two in lessons from the storm is take God at his word. When Paul got the encouragement, he believed it. He didn't go to the Lord and say, well, the wind's pretty bad here. I don't think we're going to make it. He believed and trusted the Lord. Hey, could you get me some too? You mind getting me some? Cool, man. We'll see you. <laughs> All right. Having fun here. I told you it's Wednesday night. I'm just going to start calling you guys out. Can I have the sports page? Anybody want to bring me the sports page? So, Take God at its word. I'm just having fun with you. Don't, don't get mad at me. So. The. All right, where were we here? It's hard to take God at his word when it's against our senses. Jairus went through this as well. He lost his daughter. He was a ruler in the synagogue. Christ was rejected. None of his friends, his peers, believed in Christ, but he was so desperate he went to Christ. He says, would you please come? My daughter's dying. While they were trying to get home, Jesus touched a woman who had been bleeding for 12 years. Jairus' daughter was 12 years old. Things got delayed. Jairus gets the news, your daughter is dead. Your daughter's dead. Jesus looks at him and says, only believe. 
your daughter's going to live. At that moment, he's got to choose, does he believe the words of men or the words of God? But the words of God are against his senses. They're against his logic. In the storm, get in the scriptures, root yourself in the promises of God, and even though it goes against all of your senses saying, I'm trusting the Lord. That's what Paul did. He's saying, I'm believing the word of God. It's very important when we go through storms. It's very difficult, but it's very important. We walk by faith. We don't walk by sight. Promises like all things work together for good to those who love God and are called according to his purposes. God, this is going against all of my feelings and all of my senses, and I don't see how you could be glorified in the midst of this. I don't understand how this guy's foolish choice, which resulted in this intense storm, could work about for good. But God, I'm trusting you. So we hold on to his word. We take God at his word. In verse 27, now the, when the 14th night had come and we were driven up and down in the Adriatic Sea, about midnight, the sailors sensed that they were drawing near some land. They could feel it. They could sense it. And they took soundings and found it to be 20 fathoms. And when they had gone a little further, they took soundings again and found that it was 15 fathoms. So from these soundings, they had a system in place where they could tell that they were getting closer to the shore. Then fearing lest we should run aground on the rocks, they dropped four anchors from the stern and prayed for day to come. So these sailors are getting pretty shaken up, aren't they? Probably not men of prayer, but in the storm, they're crying out to God. They're praying that God would save them. And as the sailors were seeking to escape from the ship, when they let down the skiff into the sea under pretense of putting out anchors from the brow, Paul said to the centurion and the soldiers, unless these men stay in the ship, you cannot be saved. Again, it makes good common sense Use the skiff. That's what it's for. Use this smaller boat. Your chances of saving your life and getting to the shore are better in it. But what does Paul say? Unless you stay in the ship, you cannot be saved. This is the third lesson in a storm is don't jump ship. Don't jump ship. And I know that I'm speaking figuratively here. But when we look at this chapter, is God giving us a lesson? Do we see a lesson throughout Scripture of how to handle storms? I think so. Because here's the tendency inside of all of us. When we hit a real difficult time, there's something inside of us that says, I'm just going to give up. I'm just going to jump ship. Here I am going to church faithfully, trying to serve the Lord, being there on Wednesday nights, being in fellowship, And here's the trial that comes in my life. I'm just going to give up. Forget going to church at all. Forget being plugged in with Christ. You came back. I'm so glad. I was afraid I offended you. Glad. Praise the Lord. Oh, I'm a bummer. Thanks, man. Appreciate it. Seriously, I'm glad you came back. I thought, I'm feeling wily. I probably offended him. So we got to meet after service. I want to get to know you, okay? So don't, don't jump ship in the midst of a storm, in the midst of a difficulty. Is continue with the things of God. We understand the challenges that storms put on marriages. And when a family loses a child in the coming years, a lot of times those parents end up divorcing. 
And that, that's a difficult reality of, of losing a child. And I, I can't imagine. And if you go through something like that, is in your heart go, you know, I'm not jumping ship. My spouse and I, we're going to grieve differently. But man, I'm going to hold on to my spouse. And I know some of you have gone through a loss of a child and you're saying, oh no, what does this mean for my marriage? And I've seen a lot of families handle it beautifully. Not that it's easy, not that it's not difficult, but they press into each other and their marriages have grown and thrived through, through that difficulty. But what I'm trying to point out is when there's intense challenge, a lot of times the human nature says, this is just too much, I'm going to jump ship. There's a challenge with a child and a, a child takes us to a point of, of breaking and they've just pushed it too far. We just say, I'm going to jump ship. I'm going to stop investing. I'm done. I've had all that I can handle. And God's message to us in the midst of the storm is don't jump, don't jump ship. If you jump ship, you'll never see what God had on the other side of the storm. You'll never experience what it is to be on that beach and see what the Lord has done. And I know some of you have seen storms to the other side. And by God's grace, you've stayed in there and you've stayed on the boat. And I see you nodding your head. And it's, it's so good and it's so wonderful don't jump ship in the midst of the storm. May God give us strength in that. Verse 32, then the soldiers cut away the ropes of the skiff and let it fall off. <laughs> I love this. That small boat's just looking too tempting, so just cut it off. Cut the ropes. We're trusting the apostle Paul. We didn't trust him the first time. Now we're going to trust him. Just, just cut the ropes. It's, it's not an option to not be in fellowship. Okay, God, I'm going to continue with the, the body of Christ. Even if it's at another church, praise the Lord, it's not a matter of which church, it's being in fellowship. It's not an option to get a divorce. No matter what happens in our lives, we're committed to each other. My parents, by God's grace and his faithfulness, have been married for, I believe, 42 years. They had their 42 wedding anniversary. They weren't saved when they got married. My mom was 19, my dad was 20. My mom would always tell us growing up, when you get married, you wallpaper the door shut. There's no option for divorce. So she said, we don't use the D word. My parents decided not to use the word divorce in their marriage. And I would take that a little bit further. Wallpaper's maybe not strong enough is you want to go ahead and just concrete that door shut. You know what I'm saying? Just go ahead and seal that baby up and in your mind... You're not jumping shit. In your mind, I'm committed to my spouse. I'm going to see this to the very end. Cut the ties to the boat of escape. Verse 33, and as the day was about to dawn, Paul implored them all to take food, saying, today is the 14th day. You've waited and continued without food. That's a long time without food and eaten nothing. Therefore, I urge you to take nourishment for this is for your survival, since not a hair will fall from the hair of your head. Paul's confident that he's heard from God. And when he said these things, he took bread and gave thanks to God in the presence of them all. And when he'd broken it, he began to eat. Here's point number three in the storm is give thanks. I know this is difficult, but give thanks. First Thessalonians 5 verse 18 says, In everything give thanks, for this is the will of God in Christ Jesus for you doesn't seem like a likely place to be thankful. The food was probably not very good. They're getting tossed around in the storm. And here's the Apostle Paul. God, thank you for this food. 
Thank you for your goodness. Thank you for your faithfulness. Acts 16, Paul gets thrown into prison in Philippi, gets whipped and beaten, put into stocks, and we find him beginning to pray to the Lord and sing hymns, sing songs of praise to God. Songs like we sang tonight of who God is. He chose to give thanks. Our thanksgiving is something that we can choose not to lose. Things and difficulties in life can take a whole lot of other things, but it doesn't have to take our thanksgiving. It's an expression of faith. Be thankful for who God is. Be thankful for the simple things that you have. In Philippians 4, verse 6 and 7, it says this. If you've got your Bible, turn with me over there. Philippians 4, verse 6 and 7. This is an incredible promise. Just a little bit from the book of Acts. Galatians, Ephesians, Philippians. Philippians 4, verse 6 and 7. Be anxious for nothing, but in everything by prayer and supplication with thanksgiving, let your requests be made known to God, and the peace of God, which surpasses all understanding, will guard your hearts and minds through Christ Jesus. So stop worrying. Don't worry about anything, but pray about everything, and then be thankful for anything. Be thankful. And as we choose to do those three things, then God's promises peace, which surpasses understanding. It doesn't come from understanding. God doesn't give us all of the information. But that peace that surpasses understanding then keeps, it guards our hearts and minds through Christ Jesus. So giving thanks is an important piece of this puzzle. Let's finish out the chapter. Verse 36, back in the book of Acts. Read from verse 36, making our way to verse 44. Then they were all encouraged and also took food for themselves. And in all, we were 276 persons on ships. So when they had eaten enough, they lightened the ship and threw out all the wheat into the sea. When it was day, they did not recognize the land, but they observed a bay with a beach onto which they planned to run the ship if possible. And they let go the anchors and left them in the sea. Meanwhile, losing the rudder ropes, and they hoisted the mainsail to the wind and made for shore. But striking a place where two seas met, they ran the ship aground, and the brow struck fast and remained immovable. That's the front of the ship. Boom, it's immovable. But the stern was being broken by the violence of the waves. The storm hasn't stopped. And the soldiers' plan was to kill the prisoners, lest any of them should swim away and escape. You could imagine the fear and the intensity among the prisoners. If the storm doesn't kill us, the soldiers are going to kill us. Because they don't want any of us to escape. If a Roman soldier allowed a prisoner to escape, it meant their, their death. But the centurion, wanting to save Paul, kept them from their purpose and commanded that those who could swim should jump overboard first and get to land. So some of them have the ability to swim. You guys swim for it. So Paul has the peace of mind, the strength to give guidance in the storm. And the rest, some on boards and some on parts of the ship, also, and, or excuse me, 
some on boards and some on parts of the ship, and so it was that they all escaped safely to land. So the guys that were on boards, this is the first time that surfing is mentioned in Scripture. (laughs) You might want to just put that down in your notes there. So the chapter ends, and so it was, they all escaped safely to land. And here's the last lesson in storms, is look around, look around. Why do I say this? I mean, look around at the people who are going through the storm with you. How amazing would it have been for these unbelieving sailors and prisoners to see God be faithful to his word? God sent an angel and said all of them would be safe. That's exactly what took place. The boat would be lost. That's exactly what God said. God will use the storms that we cause by our own poor decisions to reach people for Christ. As you go through any kind of storm, whether it's self-inflicted, others-inflicted, or it's just a storm of life that God allows, look around. Because there's other people that are watching you go through the storm. There's other people that are going through the storm with you. And God's wanting to get their attention as well, to display their God's glory to them as well. So in conclusion, the storm was not outside of God's plan, but a part of his plan. That's heavy. Think about that. The storm wasn't outside of God's plan, but part of his plan. Here's things to take away, some action points. Meet with God, take him at his word, give thanks, and look around. Look around to see what God's doing in the lives of of others. As we end tonight in communion, if you are going through a storm, we want to pray with you and pray for you. I'm sure there's some people that are seated right around you that you could go and ask for prayer. There'll be a ministry team on the sides. Come and let us pray for you. Let us just put a hand on your shoulder and lift you up to the Lord. There's the communion table, a great place to meet with the Lord, a great place to cry out to him and reflect on on what he's done. So let's stand together and let's pray and enter in.